Louise McSharry on 2FM. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about right now, because now I am joined by the wonderful, the beautiful, the effervescent Ellen Coyne, <laughs> news correspondent at the Irish Independent. Um, what would we do without you to school us on the news? Oh, well, absolutely no pressure. I like being called effervescent. I feel like a Baraka. Well, you are a Baraka personified. <laughs> so congratulations. <laughs> um, okay, we've as always, we have loads to talk about. And if you listen regularly, you know. But just in case you don't, the idea behind this is if you want to check out of the news during the week, you can absolutely do that. And then Ellen will come and catch you up so that you're, you know, you still kind of know what's going on. Um, so we're going to start as we always do with COVID. We are going to start with COVID. So imagine there was a time that we thought we'd talk about something different <laughs> every, every week. week. When I, I down to my notes, I'm like, maybe someday we'll start with something else. Someday. But that is not today not and today. it's not going to be tomorrow and it's yeah. not going to be for a long time. Um, so lots of politicians were meeting during the week talking about the next phase of the reopening, which is kind of pegged for its 31st of August. And unfortunately, they were coming out of those meetings a little bit demoralized because it seems like COVID is going to be with us for and it's going to rumble on for another few months we've had very high cases we had 2,098 cases reported yesterday and Tony Holan was pointing out that was the second time in a week that we went over 2,000 there are concerns about uh, the rate of infection <clears throat> we currently have 251 people in hospital and around 52 in ICU and Neffet was warning that the number in ICU could increase to 200 over the next few weeks so unfortunately the next phase of the reopening is probably just going to be focused on schools, colleges and getting people back into their offices, um, which I know would be great for people who are still trapped working from home and would like to go back. But it is fairly limited in terms of, you know, what we could or some people say should have been doing. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that gig there, which I'm still very sour about the fact I didn't get <laughs> tickets to. Um, the prospect of live gigs and kind of live entertainment coming back was big topic of conversation during the week and Catherine Martin the arts minister was asking could she go to the cabinet subcommittee where they talk about these big decisions because she wants to put forward the case for live entertainment to come back it's one of the only industries that's been effectively completely shut since March 2020 she wasn't allowed to and politicians are fairly divided on what should happen in terms of live music and it looks at the moment best case it is, scenario sorry it is wild isn't it it's crazy that the arts minister was not allowed to go and talk to the subcommittee. Yep, and I'm sure like, there are people like what? working in music who are tearing their hair out listening to this because it kind of reflects their deepest fear, which is that this industry has not been taken as seriously as other industries. Like it's pretty but kind even of even from a like from the perspective of Catherine Martin not being taken seriously. Absolutely. Like absolutely. that seems appalling to me. Now I know nothing, but like that's that seems very bad. No, it's pretty spot on. Like she's kind of in the worst place where she is obviously the one who is taking the most flack from people working in this industry. But then at the other side of it, she can't kind of get all of her colleagues on board to listen in this issue. Just to listen to her. Exactly. And there's been so many campaigners uh, on this issue and around, you know, kind of nightclub culture and stuff, which have said that it's never been taken seriously as art. Yeah. Um, It's always been seen as a kind of superfluous thing that young people do that nobody else should take seriously, maybe because older people in power don't enjoy those things as much anymore. So best case scenario, it would maybe be like a phased basis between September and October, but that's cold comfort because obviously we know the summer is so huge for people working in this industry. It's where they make most of their money 
And it's just very bitter to be sitting in Ireland and watching gigs taking place in places like Northern Ireland across the UK and knowing that we're so far from not even having those gigs back together, but even having a plan to get to the point where we would have those gigs back together. And people are kind of bitter that, you know, obviously that gig was fantastic and James Vincent McMurray was incredible. But, you know, that was pegged as a trial. But a trial for what? Because it doesn't seem like the government actually got any solid plan out of it it's just very distressing and it's very annoying for those people I saw James Vincent McMorrow himself kind of posting during the week because the photograph of him performing at that gig is being used in a lot of the news coverage of these issues and he's like I don't even get to to, to have a say and like I'm the kind of poster child for all of this exactly yeah it's interesting um, now let's talk about Donegal because uh, Donegal seems to be doing particularly badly when it comes to COVID yeah and throughout this pandemic when we kind of looked at areas where outbreaks were at their highest Donegal was kind of always up there um, and a lot of the border counties have been struggling with this issue basically because the situation is pretty bad in Northern Ireland so figures show that Northern Ireland had its highest infection has the highest infection rate in the UK and the island of Ireland and it also has the lowest rate of vaccinations for people over the age of 16 and yesterday it reported its highest number of coronavirus cases in a single day since the pandemic began and we can see this issue kind of literally flowing over the border at the moment the top four local authority areas with the highest rates of COVID-19 are all border counties and Carindona and County Donegal has kind of been it's solidly up there at the top with a big gap between it and the second one so on Thursday figures said that it had reported 434 coronavirus cases in the last 14 days Um, but the best way to kind of measure it is its instance rate. So its instance rate rose from 1,888 cases per 100,000 to 2,558. It's the only local authority area in the country that has passed the 2,000 figure for its infection rate. And to put that into context, the national infection rate is 493.2 per 100,000. So this one area in Donegal has almost five times the instance rate of the rest of the country. And it's very, very difficult uh, to control because you basically have two different jurisdictions which at times might have completely different rules like we just mentioned the fact that gigs are allowed in Northern Ireland and they're not allowed here Um, and it's very difficult for those small parts of the country to kind of get things under control and there are major concerns about how we kind of manage the border counties when the situation in Northern Ireland is so bad. I don't have the answer to that one, let me tell you. Um, Okay, now let's talk about Afghanistan because obviously that's been an an enormous story and taking up, I think, a lot of people's headspace this week. Absolutely, and I know that you'll talk about this in detail with Colm O'Gorman later on, Um, but I think even if you were tuned out of the news, you wouldn't have missed this this week. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Because of that, the US had set a hard hard deadline of the 31st of August to kind of withdraw troops from Afghanistan. There were warnings that this would cause instability and it would cause chaos, but nobody kind of predicted how bad things would get, how as quickly as they did. So the Taliban basically took control of the country. Over the course of nine days, it had taken over every major city in Afghanistan. Nobody had expected them to take control of Kabul as fast as they did. And as you mentioned at the start of the programme, there was some pretty desperate imagery coming out of the airport where people who were in mortal peril, who were in fear of their lives, were clinging to the wings of aeroplanes, rushing the airport to try to get out of the country. People who maybe would have worked with the US government, who might have worked with NATO, journalists, women, there's so many people who are now in fear of their lives because the Taliban have taken over. The Taliban have gone on a pretty chilling PR campaign where they're trying to portray themselves as a more moderate force than they were in the 90s but that absolutely has not been backed up by any evidence at all like they were talking about having an amnesty for people who maybe worked with the US government and their families but the UN has seen intelligence that the Taliban is going door to door looking for these people so they are desperate to be evacuated Western countries like the US and Ireland are 
first of all trying to get their own nationals out of the country, but they're also scrambling to try to airlift other people who are vulnerable who would be brought here as refugees. But it's very, very difficult. Like everyone who saw videos of that airport knew that it was in absolute chaos. Um, it's a very difficult uh, situation for everyone. But it's kind of interesting because one of the benefits of having um, like the US in Afghanistan over the last 20 years is that there are now millions of young Afghan people and children who got an education that they never would have before. So you now have this very, very different generation who have a different vision for Afghanistan in their mind, who were kind of um, kind of emblematic of this resistance. And when the Taliban was taking over government buildings, taking down the, the flag of Afghanistan, that kind of made it a symbol. So you've now had women very bravely unfurling that flag like in public squares and public areas and kind of leading um, I, I, like people are obviously in terror but it's very very clear that there is a new different generation with a different idea of their country's future um, that really want to to make their resistance to this very very clear Yeah it's, oh, it's scary I saw a tweet just there um, before you came on of a, a teacher in Afghanistan burning the records of her female students because yeah. she doesn't want it to be evidence that these women were educated like it's it's absolutely it's horrible dystopian but there is a good story coming out well one good story of 10 girls who were on Afghanistan's robotics team who were rescued yeah so this is kind of exactly what I was saying of this new generation and these opportunities yeah. that women in particular would have had because in the 90s women weren't allowed to be educated they weren't allowed to go to work under the Taliban rule um, and you basically have this team they're basically teenage girls who overcame hardship and have kind of been working in engineering and robotics in Afghanistan um, they are kind of run by a parent organisation called the Digital Citizen Fund and at the start of August when it started to become clear that the Taliban was going to take over there was huge concerns about the safety of these girls so the team worked with Qatar to get them out there are so 10 girls were rescued and they were taken out there are still several members of the team in Afghanistan but they're working very very hard to get them out through whatever means and whatever way that they can um, and the DCF the parent organisation was saying that you know this was a major operation it was a major project to get them out but ultimately the girls quote unquote rescued themselves if it was not for their hard work and courage to pursue an education which brought them into contact with the world they would still be trapped um, and they're just kind of emblematic of the situation that women in Afghanistan are in particularly ones who would have had high profile jobs ones who would have been very educated who are now in just this dystopian terror uh, facing a situation that they didn't think they'd ever be facing again yeah. Well, as you said, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the show with Colin O'Gorman. Um, but we need to talk about the earthquake that has taken place in Haiti. Yes. So this, uh, maybe people might have missed this because the news of Afghanistan did dominate, but it was very, very devastating. A 7.2 magn magnitude earthquake uh, took place in Haiti earlier this week. It killed at least 2,189 people. But that's a very conservative figure because there are still a lot of people who are missing. And the rescue operation is being really hampered by a lot of different uh, kind of forces colliding. So the country is the poorest country in the Americas. It urgently needs medical assistance. It needs food. And the sanitation uh, situation is really desperate to the point that uh, NGOs and charities are saying they're terrified that there's going to basically be a public health emergency coming out of this. They're very afraid that there could be an outbreak of cholera. Uh, since the since the earthquake hit the island, the U.S. military has been uh, kind of transporting 200 severely injured people for 
to hospital. 53,000 homes were completely destroyed and 77,000 more were damaged. And doctors are struggling to treat more than 12,200 people who were injured. Uh, hundreds are still missing. And even though the situations are, uh, it's very wet and cold at the moment, people are still sleeping outside because they're really worried that there could be an aftershock. Another one, yeah. Um, so it's absolutely desperate. And while aid is trickling in, um, it's getting quite terse and it's getting quite urgent that the aid that needs to come in isn't able to get in fast enough. So it's a really, really desperate situation. God, it just seems like Haiti never gets a chance to recover. It's just yeah. one natural yeah. disaster after another. Um, only fans are going to ban adult material, apparently. Yeah, this is really interesting. So despite the fact OnlyFans always goes on about how, you know, you can subscribe to see a chef or a yoga teacher. I think everyone knows that the platform is most popular for sex work. It's basically almost like a subscription-based social media service where you can buy nudes, you can buy intimate images and sex workers in particular who hadn't been able to work in person during the pandemic were making a lot of money for this. It also kind of popularized I don't know if you would even say made sex work mainstream where girls who maybe never considered that before saw it as um, an, an efficient way to make money if they needed yeah, we've, to we've spoken to young women on the show who who have made incredible money yeah. on OnlyFans huge over the amounts the last of money months. yeah um, Basically, what happened was over the course of the last year, big banks and big payment processors like MasterCard and Visa have been coming under huge amounts of pressure for being associated with websites that were either hosting child abuse imagery, kind of underage sexual content or um, non-consensual intimate images, which are sometimes known as revenge porn. They started with Pornhub and MasterCard withdrew its services, which meant the website couldn't make any money, which forced it to act. And now they're kind of spreading it. So there are all these companies like MasterCard and Visa are going to change their policy. OnlyFans is subscription based so if it didn't change it would effectively be redundant because yeah. it didn't make any money but rather than sitting down and moderating all of the content and making sure that everything was consensual and above board it is now trying to ban all adult material. So there was a lot of confusion because OnlyFans was saying one thing to the press and another to its content creators um, and effectively there's confusion over the fact that some kind of nudity imagery will still be allowed but they're not actually clear on what adult content is like is it actual pornography where you're actually watching like a, a sex act Act, yeah. or is it like you know a picture of somebody in some really unreal lingerie yeah it's not really clear and it's just kind of a, this policy is coming into place in October which is very very soon and there are a lot of mainly women who would rely on OnlyFans as an income stream who are now kind of left completely uncertain and not really getting some very clear answers from the company mm. so it has a lot of questions to answer um, it's basically just kind of given in to the pressure from the payment companies who are doing this you know from good good intentions yeah, like nobody wants the stuff that you of just course, mentioned. Of course. That stuff needs to go, obviously. But this is... But maybe, I don't know, if you had better moderation in place, water, yeah. you would be able to avoid it. But OnlyFans has obviously weighed it up and decided that it's not worth it. So it's effectively abandoning the thing it's most famous for and changing the entire platform into just a kind of subscription service for the stuff I mentioned before, and like yoga. A and business approach, and that seems dubious. Well, I think it's pretty... Uh, crass to kind of turn around and abandon the people who have made you yeah. so much money because if you are on OnlyFans I don't know what the rate is I know that OnlyFans takes a certain cut of your profits yeah. and I think it is quite high yeah. so it's probably what has made like we know that this is the main thing that OnlyFans does so yeah. it's what made the company profitable over the last few years I wouldn't know about OnlyFans aside from I wouldn't have a clue content yeah, yeah. Never, none of us would have heard of it now before I let you go I wanted to finish on a good story yes um, and this is a great one 
dog fouling has dropped over 50% in Galway after <laughs> yeah. a spray paint trial. I think everyone has one issue that they think they could personally sustain an entire Liveline episode about. <laughs> and for me, it is dog poop. And it's gotten worse over the pandemic because obviously we had nothing to do except for go for a walk. So poor dogs had like the hind legs walked off them <laughs> and were pooping all over the country. Um, Galway was inundated with complaints. So it launched this pilot program called Clean It Up, You Dirty Pup. Big fan of the name. <laughs> and what they did is they basically spray painted slogans like that in poop hotspots, like areas where there would be loads of dog poop all over the street. And then just the most passive aggressive tactic. If a dog pooped, they would just go out with like fluorescent pink spray paint and spray it around the poop to just be like, I just love this so much. It's so, but it worked. It just has shamed people. Uh, I think they copied like a, a town in Roscommon that had done something similar. Mm. I'm sure there's tidy town committees listening just salivating at the moment <laughs> thinking about how pristine they could get their streets but it has found to as you said it's dropped it by over a half so they are going to proceed with a pilot I think it would cost about 200,000 euro but I mean what price can you put on the value of going out knowing that your lovely trainers or the wheels of your buggy are not going to come back with no dog price. poop on them there's no price there is no price well done Galway well <laughs> done Galway I love it thank you so much Ellen Coyne news correspondent at the Irish Independent we'll talk to you again next week Louise McSharry on 2FM